All right, so hey everybody, it's Brian with Harvest Community Church or harvestchurcheugene.com, and I'm so glad that today you're worshiping with us. It's so good to have you, and uh, we consider it such a great privilege to have you worship with us. Before we continue on in our worship into our study of God's Word, I have um, just a few things I want to ask of you and share with you. We've been in a series called Welcome Home, and so there's a lot of extra stuff happening right now, and uh, I want to see if I can uh, bring you up to speed on everything that's going on. Right off the bat, uh, if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, would you go online and say hello? We would love to hear from you. If you're watching live, you can interact with us in uh, the comments. Uh, If you're not watching live, we'd still very much love to hear from you and know that you're watching. Of course, one way you can do that is to fill out our digital communication card. That digital communication card can be found in the links, again, YouTube and Facebook, they're there. And um, what we'd love you to do is fill it out, and not only let us know that you're watching, but answer a few questions that were there. And also, um, on that communication card, you can indicate things like prayer requests, you can share anything about how you're doing, and we would love to know how we can pray for you, and we'd love to know how you're doing. All of that said, we've been in a series called, again, Welcome Home, and there's some extra tools that are on that digital communication card that if you haven't had the chance yet, that we'd love for you to fill out. We've challenged you to, um, we've challenged you to, to choose one of three loves to grow in. It might be your love for Jesus. Again, all of us need to grow in that. It might be your love for people, and we all need to grow in that. Or it might be your love for our community and your love for the world, in the sense that Jesus loves the world. And so we've challenged you to pick one of those three loves to grow in while we're in this series and as we make our way towards Easter over the next weeks. And so if you haven't had the chance to do that, would you do that on your digital communication card? And then let us know some of the other information that's there as well. If you're new today and today is your very first time or you've been watching for a while, but you haven't been in contact with us yet, please fill out that digital communication card. We love it when new folks do that. Um, It does a couple of things. It lets us know that you're out there. It gives us a chance to begin to get to know you. We won't do anything weird with your information. We're certainly not going to show up at your house. We will send you something uh, via email or mail, depending on what you give us, um, just to introduce ourselves. And then beyond that, we would love the chance uh, to get you into some of our communications loop, to invite you to, you know, some of our social media pages, our YouTube channel, um, the chance to get our newsletter that goes out on a weekly basis. There's much info there, and we just want to make sure you get the chance to get all of it, especially while we're in this pandemic. If you're new today and you fill out one of those cards to honor you, we will give $5 in your name and in each of your family members' names. So if there are four of you, that's 20 bucks. We'll give that to our partners at Monroe Middle School. It's a school right here in our neighborhood that has a Families in Crisis Fund. And we do much with them to try to help families right here in the neighborhood. And we'd love to give in honor of your name. While I'm thinking about it, I just want to mention our Bible bookmarks. Uh, We're in February. We'll turn the corner to March soon. And uh, maybe you've had the chance to be reading with us. But on the back of the bookmark is those three loves and our spiritual growth pathway. And when we're here in this Welcome Home series, there are some additional tools that are out there. For each of those three groups, love God, or love Jesus rather, love people, 
or love the world. Harvest loves Jesus. Harvest loves people. Harvest loves the world. There's some Facebook groups out there for that. And if you find our Facebook page, you can find a link to those groups. And uh, if you want to be a part of one of those groups, um, just let us know. If you'll fill out the digital communication card, we'll do our best to invite you to one of those groups, assuming we have uh, some previous contact with you. You'll also find in the links that uh, there's a form where you can commit for the first time to make Harvest your home. Uh, There's a membership agreement form where you can uh, say that, hey, I am saved. I have been baptized by immersion in the sense that the church teaches it. I have uh, watched the Discovering Harvest videos and bonus videos that have been a part of this Welcome Home series. And I agree to the membership covenant, which there's a separate form for that. And so if you'd like to do that and you'd like to make Harvest your home, we want you to take the opportunity to do that. I will be following up with everyone who says, hey, I'm ready to make Harvest my home. And uh, one of the things I'd love to do is sit down with you and just chat through your story and mine a little bit and answer any questions that you have. And so be mindful that that form is there. Be mindful that maybe you're ready to uh, recommit Right, Every year on an annual basis, we ask folks to recommit to our membership covenant. You can commit or recommit to that membership covenant through a form that's there. There's also a uh, download, a PDF download for the Discovering Harvest booklet that goes uh, with all of our membership materials. There have been many bonus videos that have happened at the end of each of the messages. Um, so there's just a lot there, and we want to make sure you don't miss it, that you have the, the opportunity to connect. And if you haven't had the chance, I hope you'll take the opportunity to watch our video about reopening for in-person gatherings. As you know, uh, we've had, like most, to take COVID very seriously, and we still do. But we believe the time has come to continue our online gatherings and to begin to gather again in person for those who feel safe in doing so. We'll take all the COVID precautions. We have another video out about that. We want to make sure you get all of that information. All right, so I've got one more thing I want to share with you, particularly for you ladies. Later this week, we have an event coming up called the IF Gathering. The IF Gathering has been around for a while. It's an annual women's Bible conference that tends to happen virtually. What typically happens is that ladies gather in churches all across America and they participate virtually, meaning the speakers are on screen, but it happens in a local context where they can share together. Because of the pandemic this year, we are sponsoring and participating in this year's event, but you will watch from home. But to make it interesting and to make it good for you, um, We're going to have a private online chat that would be just our ladies, so you're not feeling alone while you're at home participating. The IF gathering for this year will take place Friday and Saturday, March 5th and 6th, Friday from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m., the 6th from 8.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. with a lunch break. Um, Again, you'll watch from your house. There'll be various well-known speakers. I promise you it'll be worth your time. Um, You get to interact with just our ladies in our private um, chat as a part of the experience. We have goodie bags that we're going to deliver to you so that you have everything you need. The cost is only $19, but we do need you to sign up. If you're a college student, I believe there are some funds that can help out with uh, making that free for you. And if you're, um, if you're in a place where you would say, you know what, I'm just not sure I can pull it off financially. I don't have the $19. Please let us know and we'll see what we can do 
to help in some way. You can sign up in our links today on YouTube or Facebook. In the links there, there'll be a link for the If Gathering registration. And we would love to have you ladies uh, sign up and be a part on Friday and Saturday. Don't miss out. Will you pray with me right now? Jesus, I thank you for your grace and your goodness, and I thank you for the way you work in our lives. And I pray today as we study your word that you would simply speak to our souls and change us from the inside out. And Jesus, at the end of the day, may we be different because you were in us. May your grace change us thoroughly and completely. Jesus, make us like you. As we study your word today, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So in this Welcome Home series, we've talked about why a church exists, why any church exists, and specifically why Harvest Community Church exists. And then we took a week and we talked about, and again, there were bonus videos, don't miss those, but we primarily talked about our core values and, and what makes something valuable to us and what it is we value as a church. And so hopefully those videos have been helpful to you. Today, I want to take time to talk about what Christians believe. What exactly is it that Christians believe? What, what belief is it that makes Christianity unique? I want to see if we can answer those questions today. Now, our approach to theology works like many churches, where we would affirm the statement that's been around for um, centuries now that says, in essentials, we desire unity. In non-essentials, we express liberty. And in all our beliefs, we're going to show love and grace and charity. And you say, why does any of this matter? Why does theology matter? What do we believe about God? Why does any of that matter? I'm going to tell you, it matters because what I think about God and how I think about God will shape how I think about everything else in this world. It will shape how I feel about everything in my life and it will shape the decisions I make and the behaviors I choose. It will always work its way into my everyday living. So I'm going to talk about seven beliefs today, and I'm going to run through them fairly fast, and I hope this is somewhat meaty in our approach. What do Christians believe about? Well, let's start with the Bible. What do Christians believe about the Bible? We believe here at Harvest Community Church, as many Christians do, that the Bible is God's inspired word, and it's the supreme source for truth. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and active, that is sharper than any double-edged sword, that it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And so I need the Bible in my life so that I can understand who God is, so that I can understand who I am, and so that I can understand not only who Jesus is, but how to become like him. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed. It, it literally says that. It says, it, it, it says theonoustos, God-breathed, breath, the word used there. And all scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe that the Bible is buried treasure and the question really becomes, will I dig it up and work to understand it so it can be buried in my heart? Because God's word is powerful 
I can trust it because it is God-breathed. I can understand it when I handle it correctly. And I can be transformed by it when it is fully applied. The Bible offers much to our lives. It offers resistance for retempting times. It offers focus for peer-pressured times, strength for weary times, freedom for times where I feel trapped. It offers meaning for empty times, comfort for painful times, insight for confusing times, certainly direction for lost times, protection for defenseless times, and salvation for all my time. We work very hard at Harvest when we teach the Word of God. We bring a very strong belief in the Bible to to the table, but we're going to work hard to interpret what it says, and so we study it passage by passage. There'll always be an anchor passage underneath our text. Today, that'll be Ephesians 1. I'm going to take us there in just a minute. But underneath this anchor passage, we're going to work to figure out what does it say and what does it mean? And we're going to build a bridge between what it says and what it means to our lives because the Bible is so practical for not only understanding salvation, but for everyday living. So we're going to build that bridge to build the bridge between the Bible and our lives. That's what we believe about the Bible. What do we believe about humanity, about human beings? We believe that all humans, as it teaches in Scripture, that all humans are made in God's image. But we are fallen, sinful, broken creatures. That we're all made in God's image. That we are all intended to become not God, but like him but that we are fallen and sinful and broken and therefore incapable on our own of becoming like God. It is willful in that it's a choice and it is our nature in that we have inherited it, our sinfulness. Now sin just means to fall short of God's intent, to fall short of the mark, and we do and we know it. We just don't like to admit it. We're often disappointed with ourselves And sometimes, disappointed in the God who created us. Certainly, we fall short of God's intent for us as we are made in his image. And so the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Ephesians 2, first few verses, remind us of this. Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which do you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. And all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And then you get this but God that's incredible in Ephesians 2, 4. But God... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. This teaches us that our sin affects every single one of us, and that my sin affects every single part of me, that all of me is affected by this broken, dead sinful fallen nature 
This is telling us that our relationship with God is wrecked because of our sin, that our relationship with ourselves is wrecked because of our sin, that our relationship with other people is wrecked because of our sin, and that our relationship with the world around us is wrecked because of our sin. Now I want you to notice, it doesn't say just that I'm diseased, although that is true, and a result of the fall. It does not just say that I have dysfunction or that I am disabled or that I am depressed. All of those things can be true of humanity in some form or fashion. But what this text specifically said is that I am dead without Christ in my life. And that dead image is reminding me that I am incapable of doing anything about my sin problem. If I was diseased, I could try to make myself better. If I was dysfunctional, I could try to be more functioning. If I were depressed, I could work on being something else. But in the end, the Bible says, you know what? I am dead in my sins. But God in his mercy did something about it, which comes to our belief about God. What is it we believe about God? Number three, we've talked about what we believe about the Bible. Number one, what we believe about humans. Number two, number three, what do we believe about God? We believe, as the Bible teaches, that God exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each is not the other, and there's only one God. That God exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? The Father, is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or God. But there's only one God. We call this, in Christian circles, the belief in the Trinity or triunity. That the Father is God, that the Son is God, that the Holy Spirit is God, and there's only one God. And if you're confused, I would just say, welcome to the mystery of really trying to understand who God is. If you can put your mind fully around God and wrap your brain around all that God is, then your God is too small. Ephesians 1 reminds us of what it means for God to be Father and for God to be Son and for God to be Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 1, 3 and following, really, for a ton of verses there is just one sentence in the original language. Let's read it. Now, in my Bible, it's a bunch of sentences, but in the original language, one sentence. Listen to this. Praise be, Ephesians 1, 3, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have Father and Son there, and uh, just for a second, I want to show you that when we end this text, Verse 13, we get the Holy Spirit as well. You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this text. Again, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has given freely to us and the one he loves. And in him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. One sentence still, original language. 
He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ. That's the rest of us. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. One sentence tells us that God exists as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And specifically about God the Father. This is telling us that I am chosen by the Father. And don't get too distracted by the language of trying to understand. This is where I would go back to liberty. What's the challenge between, what's the difference between God's choosing and our free will? And Christians spend sometimes all of their energy on that question and miss a lot of the rest of the Bible. I believe that the chosen metaphor is all wrapped up in our adoption, that we were chosen while we were dead in our sins before we ever could have chosen God. He chose us. That I am chosen by the Father, I am adopted by the Father, that is, I am his child, and I am accepted by the Father. It's telling me that here. And the real question becomes, well, what is God like? And I think this simply says he's a God who loves. That this affirms the 86th Psalm, verse 15, where it says, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness. Which naturally leads to the question, what do we believe about Jesus Christ? Well, number four, we believe that Jesus Christ is the eternally existent Son of God who was born in a virgin birth, who lived a sinless life, who died an undeserved death, was buried in a borrowed grave, and rose again to give away eternal life. That's what we believe about Jesus. Verse 7 and following told us all about that, that I am redeemed by the Son and his death on the cross, that I am forgiven because of the Son and his death on the cross, and that I am richly graced, that I have grace poured out on my life through the Son. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Hebrews 1.3, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. That he is more than a man, more than a good man, more than an example, and more than a man among men, and more than a good teacher. That he is God in the flesh. And at the end of the day, most everyone thinks they know what God is like. But humanly speaking, short of Jesus, everyone is inaccurate. That Jesus, as we understand him from Scripture, is both eternal 
And right here, he is near. He is righteous, and he is our reconciler. He is a just, he is right and just in all he does. That he is our defense attorney who stands to defend us in the throne of heaven. And that he is the very ransom sacrifice that through his death, grace came. And I don't deserve any of it. And neither do you. It's all pure grace. And because he's lavished this on me, he deserves absolute supremacy in my life. Naturally, this passage in Ephesians outlined for us God the Father and God the Son and then God the Holy Spirit. So what do we believe about the Holy Spirit here at Harvest? We believe that the Holy Spirit is equal with the Father and the Son and that the Holy Spirit is present in our world to make us aware of our need for Jesus Christ and to And he is present in our world to live in every believer from the moment of salvation to empower us to become more like Jesus. Now, I have some Christian friends that don't believe about the Holy Spirit, what I just said. But we believe that when you receive the Father and the Son, you equally receive every bit of the Holy Spirit, that he is present in the life of the believer from the moment of salvation and that he is there to empower us to become more like Jesus. That is to say that the Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit counsels, the Holy Spirit empowers, the Holy Spirit gives gifts, and the Holy Spirit guarantees our salvation. That's what it was telling us in Ephesians 1, 13, and 14, that I am sealed by the Holy Spirit, that my salvation is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, and that there's an inheritance waiting for me that is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. That all for me settles whether or not you get the Holy Spirit later. It's very clear that when you are saved, the Holy Spirit is yours. And the question is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, The question really becomes, how much of me, how much of you, does the Holy Spirit have? Number six, I want to ask, what do we believe about salvation? We believe that salvation is a gift given by the grace of Jesus Christ, paid for by the death of Jesus Christ, and empowered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we believe about salvation. It's a gift given by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's paid for by the death of Jesus Christ. It is empowered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That salvation is, as someone much wiser than me has said, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Simply said in Scripture, Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That as it was outlined here in Ephesians 1, that salvation is adoption, where I am adopted and you are adopted as God's child. That salvation is redemption, where we are bought back to belong to God again. That salvation is forgiveness, where all of the sin is canceled. And it's canceled because it was loaded off of me onto Jesus Christ on the cross. 
And that salvation is restoration, where I am restored to be, at the end, all that God intended when I was made and when you were made in his image. There are a lot of solutions that don't work, and humanity has been full of them for millennium. Good works don't work. Moral living doesn't work. Trying to live with a clear conscience doesn't work. Spiritual sincerity doesn't work. And if we really read the story of Jesus right, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's very clear that religious rituals don't work. That the bottom line here is that good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do that we need the grace of Jesus Christ to be forgiven. Which leads me to one more powerful belief, and it's number seven. What do we believe about eternal security? As Christians, we believe that since we did not earn salvation, we cannot do anything to keep our salvation. Rather, we are kept in salvation in the grip of grace through the power of the Holy Spirit who guarantees our final transformation to become like Jesus. That it is all through grace from start to finish. And it is the Holy Spirit who guarantees that it said in Ephesians 1.13 and 14. The deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is telling us that at the end of the day, my transformation My salvation is paid for by Jesus Christ. That my sanctification is empowered. Sanctification is a big word that means growing to become more like Jesus. That it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that my restoration or my my transformation or, or, or glorification where I am finally transformed to be fully, completely like Jesus, is held in the grip of grace and will happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what is it exactly that makes Christianity unique? If you've been listening closely today, you might think that what makes Christianity unique is this idea that God cares about humans. But there are other religions that teach that. You might think that what makes Christianity unique is the idea of the incarnation, that God took on human form, and yet there are at least a few religions that at least hint at that. You might think that what makes Christianity unique is the belief in the resurrection, that the tomb was found empty. But in other religions, you have accounts of some human beings coming back from the dead. C.S. Lewis was once asked, well, then what is it that makes Christianity unique? And he said, ha, it's simple. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace that makes Christianity unique. Now, certainly, do we believe in the incarnation? Absolutely. Would we believe in the resurrection? Absolutely. Is it unique that God is in the flesh? I believe it is. 
But God in the flesh is the son of God who died for my sins and was buried and rose again. That's all grace because he did it for me and for my sin. That became personal for me when I was 15 years old. Has that become personal for you? Because no other religion of the world says, you know what? God paid the price, that it comes free of charge. Only Christianity dares to proclaim that God's love is unconditional. And Christians boldly proclaim that grace really has little to do with us or our ability to earn anything or our inner resolve, but rather grace is all about God and God freely giving to us his gifts of forgiveness and mercy and love. And so it is, as Philip Yancey once wrote, that there is nothing we can do to make God love us anymore and there is also nothing we can do to make God love us less, that his love comes by grace. It's grace that changes how we think. And it's grace that changes how we feel about ourselves, about the world, about life, and about others. And it is grace that influences our decisions and changes how we choose things in this world. And it is grace that infects our behavior and begins to change how we behave. It is grace that we believe here at Harvest as Christians. Think about it. I always end our message with two prayers. The first is a prayer of salvation. And if you need this salvation by grace, as it was outlined today, you can receive it right here, right now. You can pray with me just like this. I would encourage you to. You might even want to put your hands out in the air. Dear Jesus, Wow, I really am sinful, messed up, and I am the problem. But thanks for loving me, Jesus. Thank you for coming, for living, for dying, and for rising again. Jesus, I turn to you, I admit my sins, and I ask you to forgive me and take me and make me yours. And Jesus, make me more like your grace. Please, Jesus. I thank you that this Bible says you will. Thank you, Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed like that, dear, like that just now, I would so love to know that and to hear that from you. And so you can let me know on your digital communication card. There's a box to check there to say I've become a Christian for the first time. Or you can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com. Or, 
If someone invited you to watch, you can tell them and they'll let me know. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a part of a church. And we'd love to give you a Bible and we'd love to talk with you about baptism. Not that that saves you, but we'd love for you to understand it. And we'd love to be your family, to be the family of God with you. I said I'd pray two prayers. The first is a prayer of salvation. The second is a prayer of application, a prayer of discipleship for those of us who are followers of Jesus. And if you prayed that prayer of salvation in the past, maybe decades ago, but today you're walking the faith and you want to reaffirm that, maybe you'd pray just like this with me. Pray, dear Jesus, please make me more like you, full of grace and truth. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Empower me to live my life for you. May grace change how I think. May grace change how I feel. May your grace change what I choose. And may your grace change how I behave. Help me to live grace, offer grace, share grace and receive grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. May we all not only be touched, but be changed by His grace. Remember, friends, you are loved. Stay tuned for another set of bonus videos. All right, so hey everybody, it's Brian, uh, another one of our bonus videos. Uh, for this video, I want to talk to you about the importance of developing a heart of generosity. It goes along with everything we try to develop in us as disciples of Jesus Christ who love as Jesus loves. Certainly when you examine the heart of God, what you find is that God is a giver by nature. And so to become like Jesus is to become someone who has a loving heart, which means in the end also a generous heart. Now, generosity has far more to do with simply finances, but it does impact our finances. In our Discovering Harvest booklet, there's some information about this. Uh, in my booklet on page 1415, it says, Contributing to God's Work, My Treasures at the Top of the Page. This is essentially about a concept of giving that sometimes is called tithing, right? The tithe means the tenth. Uh, we do encourage that as a uh, general method of knowing how to sacrifice and how to represent what we're doing for the Lord. Many times people ask, well, why do we give? And my simple answer is because God is a giver. You know, and I would remind you of several things. One, when I become a believer in Jesus, everything I have, I give to Jesus. And so all of it, my, my stuff, my money, all of it is God's. And when I begin to look at it that way, I realize that it's all God's, and he's given it back to me to manage it, to steward it, to use a biblical word. And so we have to learn to manage what God provides as God provides. We give because... Honoring God through giving invites God to work in my heart, to make my heart more like his, to make my heart more generous. When we give, we give because, frankly, it makes a difference. And I want you to think about this. When you give, lives get changed. 
Whether we're talking about what happens Sunday in and Sunday out in the church or through the church, or we're talking about ministry and mission that happens you know, in our community, across the street, literally, where we minister in schools and where we come alongside the homeless in our community and we do other things to partner and to adopt families and to say um, to, say to Eugene and Springfield, we love you. When you give, you make a difference in that way. And of course, your giving goes around the world because a percentage of everything we give goes through our partners uh, with missionaries that serve literally around the world. I'll talk about those missionaries in another video. But I think it's important for you to understand that we get to be a part of going with the gospel and sending the gospel to the far reaches and the far corners of the planet so that every person can know that Jesus loves them. I think it's so, so important that we realize that when we give, it changes lives. You say, yeah, but isn't there like utility bills and salaries and those kinds of things? I would say, yes, absolutely. I mean, anytime you have an organization, you have those kinds of things. But when we pay utility bills, think about it. We're creating an opportunity for ministry to happen on our campus. When we invest in the salaries of our staff, we're investing in those who will equip and lead all of us to make a difference in this world, to make a difference for the gospel. And so in the end, we would want you to know, and I love to take this opportunity here in our Discovering Harvest classes, I love to remind us, maybe, maybe if you've never given, to give it a shot, to trust God, the Bible even says to test God and see if God won't provide for you as you give. I promise you, it makes a world of difference starting in the world of your heart. All right, so hey everybody, it's Brian with another one of our bonus videos. I want to take just a minute, not very long, and I want to talk to you about our membership covenant. When we begin to think about making Harvest Community Church our home, that's a commitment. And I want to talk to you for just a moment about what that commitment really looks like. Our covenant can be found on page two inside the Discovering Harvest booklet, or it can be found in more detail, far more detail, on pages 18 and 19 later on in the booklet. Our membership covenant basically says this. It says that I am agreeing that I have been saved. I have become a believer in Jesus Christ. That I have been baptized or I'm willing to be baptized. That the way I was baptized was by immersion, as the Bible teaches, not for salvation, but after salvation. That I have taken the um, Discovering Harvest class or I have watched the Discovering Harvest videos uh, the videos that have to do with our statements and our strategies and that outline why we exist as a church. And that I am committing to make Harvest Community Church my family. And so in doing so, I commit myself to God and to the other members of the church to do four things. That I will protect the unity of the church. We put this right in the membership covenant because we truly believe with all our hearts that a healthy church is a unified church. Not unified around looking alike or thinking alike or dressing alike, but unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I will act in love towards other members. I will refuse to gossip. I will follow leaders. I will bring it up 
when I have questions. And if I disagree and I need to, I will have a conversation, but I'll do it humbly and with love. Number two, I will share the responsibility of my church. I'll pray for its growth. I will invite folks I know to attend that are unchurched or those that need a church. Uh, I will be welcoming to those who show up for the very first time. That I will pray and I will do the things that a church does as a family together. I will share the responsibility of my church. Number three, I will serve the ministry of my church. I will look inside myself and think about how God has wired me. I'll discover my gifts and talents. I will look to be equipped by the leaders of the church to grow and to serve. And I will develop a servant's heart that says, you know what, coach, just put me in the game. Just, just show me where you need me. And I will do what I can to serve the best that I can. I will protect the unity of my church. I will share the responsibility of my church. I will serve the ministry of my church. And number four, I will support the testimony of my church. That means that I'm going to be an active part of church life, that I will attend faithfully, that I will live a godly life that represents not only the church, but Jesus Christ well. And I will give regularly to the mission of the church, that I will give to support what God is doing here at Harvest Community Church. That's our covenant, and that's the commitments we ask you to make when you commit to being a part of the family here at Harvest. We truly believe we are a family to each other, and we would love to have you make this commitment and be a part of the Harvest family. You can find links to our membership covenant on our website. You can find them in YouTube and Facebook or however you're watching, and we would love to have you become a part of the family here at Harvest Community Church. All right, so hey everybody, it's Brian with another bonus video. In this video, I want to talk to us about who we partner with. In essence, are we a part of a denomination or not? Is Harvest an independent church? And the short answer to that is yes, we are an independent church. However, we choose to partner with the Southern Baptist Convention. We are Baptist by background. And I want to just take a moment and explain why we choose to partner in that way. Number one, it's SBC churches that helped start Harvest Community Church back in the early 90s. It was SBC churches that gathered together and said, you know what, we need another church in town that is willing to do um, things in a different kind of capacity. And those churches leaned in, they provided folks, and they provided funding. And even the campus we have uh, came from, historically, a Baptist church right here in Eugene, Oregon. If you don't know much about the Southern Baptist Convention, certainly Southern becomes a misnomer because we're not in the South. I think there's some good information we would want you to know, and there's information about that on page 26 in the Discovering Harvest booklet. Southern Baptists are the largest association of Christian churches in the United States of America. It's also the most diverse association of churches and one of the fastest growing groups of churches in the United States. We partner with the Southern Baptists not only because they helped start us, but because Partnership, we believe, is powerful. We're better together than we are alone. There is something powerful when we pool resources to encourage one another, to help one another, to serve one another, and to come together to educate, to train, and to send missionaries and pastors and church planters not only across North America, but literally around the world. We partner with Southern Baptists because 
frankly, we're people of the book. Our theology comes from Scripture, and we believe Baptist theology well represents what Scripture teaches. We practice a mode of baptism known as immersion, right, which Baptists um, ascribe to. But more than that, we take that not from the SBC. We take it from the Bible, from the Word of God. And we remain Southern Baptists because Baptists are people of the book. The Bible really matters to us. We want to know that the Bible matters, that the gospel matters, that missions really matters. Some people ask me, hey, Brian, why not just be you know, a non-denominational church? Why not just be an independent church? And the answer to that really goes along these lines. One, we are an independent church. I mentioned that. I say that because we are independently governed. That is to say that we have a set of leaders, we call them stewards, who govern Harvest Community Church, who serve alongside with me in governing Harvest Community Church. We are staff-led. Uh, we I am, uh, have accountability that are with those um, stewards here at the church. There is nobody that hires and fires here at the church except Harvest Community Church. The denomination does not own the property. The denomination does not tell us what to do. We choose rather to partner because we think it's worth it. So we are independently governed, but we choose partnership and we choose cooperation because we really truly believe it makes a world of difference. There are thousands of missionaries we partner with serving around the world today. Likewise, we are always working to start churches, not only thinking about our community here in the region we live in in the Pacific Northwest, but across the United States. And we think there is great, great value in knowing that, frankly, we're not alone. And so we choose to partner with the SBC. And that is not to say that every little squabble that the denomination gets caught up in is something we're going to get caught up in. We're going to stay mission-focused. We're going to stay driven by the Scripture. And we're going to do everything we can to share the gospel and to show you that you are loved by God.